Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks of the world who are embracing freedom and discovering purpose. Need a surge of inspiration? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited, joy-seeking entrepreneur who is on a mission to find like-minded, open-hearted freebirds to share their stories of triumph, struggle, and inspiration. Until you're ready for your own adventure, let's clock out and live vicariously through others who have blazed the trail. And welcome to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. Today, I have a fellow outdoors woman that puts me to shame because she does it a lot more than me, and I'm so jealous. So I'm going to live vicariously through her for this interview. Today, we're chatting with Christine Reed. She's a long-distance backpacker and an author of the memoir, Alone in Wonderland. She is here to tell us about her journey from sedentary office worker to rugged outdoors woman. Um, in hopes of inspiring you all to go do something bigger for yourselves, whatever that may be. Welcome, Christine. Thanks so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, my pleasure. So it's kind of funny. We got a late start to this interview because poor Christine had to go find a library <laughs> that had a quiet space so that she could actually do this interview because you live wherever the road takes you. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the lovely logistical things about living in a van. <laughs> so you are your full-time van liver? Um, currently, I'm like two-thirds time van liver. I do have a home base in Denver uh, where I kind of run my business out of my partner's condo. So it's Denver-based. Yeah. I think that that's the way to do it. I personally could never... Well, maybe I'll never say never, but live full time. <laughs> I'm ready for like the comforts of just sprawling out and having a little bit of extra, you know, fun time after. Yeah. Totally. And I did, I was full time on the road for three years. Um, and there's, it's, it's nice to have a place to come back to. Um, even if you only come back every two or three months. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, let's talk van life first. What's your van's name? Cassiopeia. Okay. Where'd uh, that come from? This is my third van. So my first van's name was Celeste um, because I wanted to be closer to the celestial bodies sleeping outside and under the stars. And like I had this idea of that. And she was also um, a black Dodge Ram van. Um, don't recommend a black van if you're going to be living, you know, in a van. It gets very hot. Um, sure. so <laughs> that was my first van. My second van was a big white Ford Transit that was built out, and it was all yellow and orange inside, like sunshine. Um, and her name was Soleil, which is French for sun. Oh. Um, and so then when I got this van, I was like, I want to stick with that, like, celestial theme. Um, and so I took a really long time to choose between Andromeda and Cassiopeia. Um, but I went with Cassiopeia. <laughs> Very nice. What, what causes, obviously with the first one, you probably just didn't even know what you really wanted and it was black, it was hot. What was the reason for the second upgrade? Oh yeah. The, I mean, the first van was nothing but problems. It was just older and it had a lot of engine issues and it was constantly breaking down. Um, and then when I got the Ford Transit, um, I had it custom built out and it was beautiful and luxurious and all things. Um, and then COVID happened and I got laid off from my job and the financial stress of paying for this very expensive van um, was just a bit much. So it was also right at the same time that I was publishing my book. 
be a little bit more home-based at that point in time while I was like starting my business and getting things off the ground and like figuring out what the next steps were. Um, so it just made sense that I didn't need this like financial burden of a big van that I was kind of not using for a minute anyway. Sure, sure. So did you did you simplify on Cassiopeia or did you kind of replicate? Oh, um, it's a minivan. It's a Mazda 5. Um, so if you don't know, Mazda 5 is like smaller than um, a Toyota Sienna like a or a Honda Odyssey. Those are kind of like normal minivans. A Mazda 5 is smaller than that, uh, somewhere between a normal minivan and like a Prius. Uh, but it does have sliding doors, so it's still a van. Um, so yeah, it's much better. And then I got my books in there and my clothes and food and stuff. Um, but I've been on book tour most of the last year. So I've basically used it as a, a way to get to book events and then have a place to sleep if I need one. Awesome. Uh, so funny story about vans. Um, I'm not sure how much you probably don't know too much about me, but we, I'm, I'm married, have kiddos. So we, I still have a 13 year old at home, so we can't go anywhere. I'm just now exploring, just getting out for short trips. Um, as I'm kind of waiting for the time where my daughter's out of the house, but I had, I've had this dream for quite some time and I bought my first van last year <laughs> and it's That's a rough Austin. time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a good deal. It was a, it, it was just perfect. It was everything that I wanted. Bought this thing in Florida because it was just everything about it was so perfect. And it was a 76 Westphalia. Ooh. <laughs> bright green named Oscar. And I slept in my driveway because that's as far as Oscar would go. He, you'd take him out on little trips and get a slight little bit of a, of a climb. We're talking around town and he would break down and he'd be over most finicky. Just yeah. Jerk. So I'm like, well, he's got to go. Cause there's no way that's going to work. So he might, I might chop him up into a food truck. I might, <laughs> I might make him a, I don't know. I've got some ideas for him or we might sell him. I don't know, but we've since it was, it, I mean, just that short little stint was enough for me to say, okay, I'm the one that I buy is going to be plain and we're going to build it out over the next couple of years as we figure out what we actually need and actually want versus paying for this whole build out. Because for me, I, I took it on a week long trip with just a bed, a heater, lights. Like, what else? What else do you really need outside? Well, you need a toilet. You don't. I, yeah, I lived for a year and a half. My first band did not have a toilet. And then currently I don't either. So it's yeah, exactly. I mean, totally so, doable. You don't have a toilet in your car. Like No, exactly. And that's <laughs> the, the only reason that for the, for the price of it, I'm like, we're going to throw one of the portable ones, ones in there. Cause on my way back, we're in Montana. So it's cold. Mm. Um, on our way, on my way back from my first trip, <laughs> I got stuck on a pass for a day and that's one of those moments where it's like, oh, I could get up and go pee in the back. Not a big deal. But so that was my thing where I'm like, nope, for 150 bucks, go ahead and add one. But one of oh, it's totally fun. worth it if you have space for one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what is your what is your current ca Cassiopeia? What's the personality like and why always female names for van life? Or oh, gosh, I don't know. Just tradition, I suppose. Plus, if you're going to be on the road with one other person, you want it to be a woman, right? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, oh gosh, wait, what was the first part of the question? Oh, just what's her personality like? Oh, um, so far so good. Uh, she's, you know, stealthy, which I love. 
um, and gets great gas mileage. Also love that. And it's just, you know, it's like driving a car, which is so much nicer than like being in a huge vehicle. Um, and being in such a small space is, I don't know, there's like an intimacy with that. So it's like all of my life fits into 40 square feet. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've definitely been through the gamut with like engine issues and, and other things like that. And, uh, I, she's broken down once I've been in her for a year. Um, but considering in the year I've put more than 30,000 miles on that is not too bad. Yeah. Oh, not too bad. I got to catch her, give her a little bit of a break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So cool. So what, let's go back a little bit in time, sedentary office worker to outdoors, rugged outdoors woman. What, what, what's the story there? What caused change? Yeah. So after I graduated from college in 2013, uh, I started working in health insurance and I was, um, it was sort of like right as the Affordable Care Act was coming out. And so there was a lot of turmoil in the health insurance industry and it was very stressful. Um, and my job was to talk to agents who were selling our products, but we didn't really know what our products were. And then we would send them to the government to ask questions and then they would be all irate by the time they got back to us with their questions. Oh, so this is, it was just very high stress. Um, and I very quickly after getting the job was like, I don't think I can do this for very long. Um, and then one day while I was at work, I was kind of like clicking on some clickbaity articles like man walks 2000 miles uh, on the East Coast, something, something. And I was like, what's that? So I like sort of went down a rabbit hole about the Appalachian Trail, which I had previously never heard of. And I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. And people, it was really the way that people were talking about it in this context of like the Appalachian Trail changed my life. And the Appalachian Trail made me realize who I was and what was important to me and figure out my priorities and, you know, all these very like grandiose um, ideas about what, what long distance hiking can do for you as a person. And I was just at a place in my life where I was like, you know, what sounds great is like starting over, finding new meaning in life, figuring out some other version of myself that I can be because I'm not happy in the current position. So, um, How old were I, you at that I, point? Mm, 23. Okay, yeah. And I was, I, I quickly became obsessed and I went into my mom's office and I said, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And she said, what is the Appalachian Trail? <laughs> and so, right, like I also didn't know. And so, I, you know, I started telling her about it and I was like, doesn't it sound amazing? And she was like, no, why would you want to do that? You know, I just wasn't raised in a family where like outdoorsy things existed. Like, you know, I just didn't know. And for good reason, because I wasn't taught or raised to do these things. So, you know, her reaction was basically like, this is of no interest to me at all, <laughs> you know? And then of course she went down the like, is it safe? And like, I don't want you to do this. And it, you know, that whole side of the conversation as well. Totally. Yes. Okay. So that, that's what you, what gave you your start. You're, you, that was 23. How old are you now? 32. I'll actually 32. be 33 next month. So almost, almost 10 years ago. Hey, did you, and, and what did that process look like for you getting started in the outdoors life? Cause I can, I can, I've got a picture of, <laughs> I've got a picture of somebody out there that just is uh, starting on smaller, shorter trails, kind of working themselves up. Or did you just go gangbusters and just go? 
Yeah, it was sort of a jump in with both feet scenario. Um, I did a lot of research. Uh, there are some great resources and there's even better resources now um, in terms of like wanting to get out and do a through hike. Um, I started to buy gear and think about what I was going to eat and figure out how the food drop system works on the trail. And uh, then my lease was going to be up where I was living in Arkansas six months before I was planning to start the trail. And so I thought, okay, what can I do for six months so I don't have to sign another lease? And so I Googled jobs that provide housing. And I found an article that talked about national parks. And I was like, oh, perfect. Like, great. That's totally adjacent to what I want to do. I can meet other cool outdoorsy people. Um, maybe I can do some hiking and get ready because at that point I've done nothing to physically prepare. Um, so I moved to Yosemite National Park um, and, you know, lived there for six months before I started the AT. And that was an amazing experience. I would highly, highly recommend that people go work and live in a national park for a period of time. It is also something that will change your life. Um, but, and it's a great jumping off point for like other types of things. But what I did not do was hike. Um, I, <laughs> very little hiking. I wasn't aware, ooh, sorry. Um, I wasn't aware when I moved to Yosemite National Park that this is a place where people rock climb and not hike. And so all of the employees uh, were climbers. And so when I got there and I was like, who wants to go hiking? A bunch of people were like, ah, hiking, who needs that? <laughs> and so I was uh, saddened to find that I didn't make as many hiking buddies as I was hoping. Um, so I did actually very little hiking before the Appalachian Trail. By the time I set foot on trail, I had all the gear I needed and I had all of the like mental preparation of like knowing I was going into something really difficult and kind of prepared to suffer and go through like big emotional changes. Like I had all these ideas about what I was going to experience, um, but I had done almost nothing to prepare physically. But I had also read in my research that you get in shape as you go and you learn how to hike as you go. And that is totally an acceptable way to do the thing. So I was like, I'll just figure it out when I get there. Wow. That's incredible. Sorry. One second. I'm going to throw something at my dog. <laughs> oh, you guys probably can't hear her because of this awesome background noise. They're losing their ever loving mind because, you know, no reason. Zero. No. <laughs> The joys of working at home. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so anyway, so barely any hiking. You're prepared. You're ready to rock and roll. Like, just think, like, you, you had all the gear. Like, I think about the, the uh, weekend long, oh, I mean, nothing. Like, no overnight trips. No, like, testing your gear. Because, like, I went, like, on my first, I don't know, like, three or four years where I was backpacking, you know, at, three and four days at a, at a, at a time, that's an art. Like packing is an art, like setting your stuff up is an art like that. There is like something to that. How did you get through that knowledge? Yeah, I definitely took my backpacking stove out a few times and like cooked different meals. Like I practiced the foods that I was going to eat, um, a bit before I went out there. So I did have experience doing that, but not in the context of like, I've just hiked eight miles and now I'm going to cook this. I would just like go out and do it. Um, and we did, I did go on one overnight in Yosemite with like a group of people that I worked with. And I think we hiked like three miles. Um, and I remember it being really hard, <laughs> but 
And and I remember feeling like, oh, all these people that I'm hanging out with know that I'm planning on hiking the Appalachian Trail, and they're like, I'm the slowest person here. <laughs> it's not a race. That's the beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, there was, I, I did do one overnight where we went out. Um, but I, when I went out on the Appalachian trail, it was the very first time I had packed all of my gear into my pack with four days of food and put it on my back. Like I had never picked up that heavy of a pack before. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's admirable. I love it because I feel like that's a style of doing life that a lot of people frown upon. And I just think over I, I personally think that people that are over you know paralysis by analysis people that over plan just wait for everything to be perfect parents to death when i'm coming up with the next endeavor because yeah i read about it a little bit yeah i know what's going on i'll figure it out you'll figure it out as you go totally yeah and i think you know there are there are times where there are legitimate dangers and you need information to like be safe yes but i think more often than not we hold ourselves back unnecessarily. And really the biggest danger is failure or looking silly. And if you can overcome those fears in your mind that like anytime you try something new, you are going to look silly. You are going to not know what you're doing. You're gonna do the wrong thing. But how how will you ever get to the point of doing something, you know, properly or correctly or whatever, however you envision that you want it to go if you don't bumble through it a little bit in the beginning. So what, tell me a little bit about the Appalachian Trail. What was the experience like for you? How long did it take you? How many miles were you doing on average? Obstacles, just, you know, break her down for us. Yeah. So uh, I started the trail at the end of March in 2015. Um, I hiked for three or four days and then my mother died and I went home. Um, and so I sort of had a, like, oh my gosh, I've planned for this for a year. I've like hung all of these expectations on this experience. Um, and now it's over. Right. Cause I thought I can't possibly go out and keep hiking. Um, and so I went home and I went to the memorial service and I spent some time with my family and, uh, one of my uncles who I, you know, am not close with at all and probably hadn't seen in 10 years said, when are you going back out on the Appalachian trail? And I thought, how dare you ask me that? Like, how could I possibly go back out? Um, and it didn't take very long, a few more days after that, before I realized, like, why not? Why couldn't I go back out? Like, this is an experience that I needed, that there were a bunch of reasons I was going out there for, um, and that me being home isn't necessarily helping or doing anything. There's, like, why do I need to be home right now? Um so after a little bit of thought and like talking to my dad about it, I decided I was going to go back out and I took the pressure off of the experience in terms of saying, I'm going to finish this trail. And I said, I'm just going to hike until it doesn't feel like the right thing to do anymore. Um, and so I ended up hiking 650 miles from the beginning in Georgia to Parisburg, Virginia um, in about 70 days. So I was averaging less than 10 miles a day. Um, but that does include the time that I went home. It also includes a week that I took off for tendonitis issues. Like there was definitely some, some zero mileage days happening in there. Um, but I truly hiked until I felt like I had one 
gotten some of what I came for, some of that like new understanding and ideas about who I wanted to be, and also the experience of pushing myself physically, which is something I had never really done in my life up till then. So there were a lot of things I was looking for. Um, I also was then dealing with grief of losing my mom and like processing a lot of that. And then when I decided to get off the trail, it was largely because I felt I had gotten what I came for and largely because I felt like I needed to go home and be with my dad. Um, like he had moved through the very initial phases of grief. And then I think he needed someone to be there with him for a bit. And so I took the rest of the time that I had set aside to hike the trail, to go home and just stay at my parents' place and like hang out with my dad. Um, so, you know, in terms of the, the like hiking experience, it was something I had never done before. And it was so physically challenging. The Appalachian Trail is really a difficult trail in terms of it's lots of elevation gain. It's lots of mud. It's lots of rain. Um, and then all of a sudden it goes from being cold and rainy to being like 90 with 90% 90 humidity. <laughs> and it's black flies and it's mosquitoes. And like, it's just, there's a lot of challenges on the Appalachian Trail. Um, and so in terms of that experience, like it was, it was a lot of learning and a lot of pushing through difficult conditions, um, you know, to then kind of get to like an arbitrary stopping point. Cool. Did you, did you have moments where you thought about quitting? Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely times that I was like, this sucks and I hate this and I want to go home. Um, but I do feel like that was always just like conditionally, like I'm uncomfortable or like, you know, those, those things that can, I think we want to push through when we're going through a really long, difficult experience like that. And then when I decided actually to go home, it was very like, um, I wouldn't say like a snap decision, but it was just like all the things aligned for me to be like, I am a hundred percent sure I want to go home now. Um, and and, you know, on the AT, there's a very completionist attitude as with any like long trail. And so everybody out there is kind of shooting for the same goal. Um, so when you decide you're going to leave, it's a bit of a conversation with the people that you've made friends with, the people who are around you. And so I had some people at the campsite that I was like, that I left from saying, no, say, you know, don't quit on a bad day. That's like one of the mottos. Um, and I was like, it's not a bad day. It's just the day I need to go home now. So that was like an interesting thing too, because I, I hadn't really told a lot of people around me that my mom had just died. And there wasn't like, there wasn't an understanding of what was going on in the background for me. And so there was a lot of people thinking that I was just quitting because I wanted to go home. And so having that conversation in like a, you know, um, what's the word? Like a political way. That's not the right word. <laughs> but to be able to say like, I don't really owe you an explanation and like you're, encouragement is nice, but not welcome. Interesting. So then, so this is 2015. How many of the, the, the long trails? So for listeners, there's the Pacific Crest, is that right? Yep. Yep. And then the CDT Appalachian. Am I miss, missing any? So those are the big three, but there's actually 11 national scenic trails. And then there's several others that aren't designated as national national scenic trails, but those are the big three. And have you done all three yet? No, no, <laughs> no, goal. no. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do all three. Um, honestly, people ask me all the time if I'm going to finish the Appalachian trail and I'm like, ah, eh, you know, like 
I, like I said, I got what I came for out of that experience. Um, and there are so, so, so many trails to hike and I'm not particularly attached to the Appalachian trail. The only reason I hiked that one in 2015 is because it was the first one I heard of and right. Like I was like, Oh, this is a thing. Like I'm going to go do that. And it wasn't until I was out on the Appalachian trail that people were talking about all these other trails. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know there was options. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I thought this was like a unique thing. Um, and so since, since 2015, when I hiked that section of the AT, I have hiked the Wonderland trail, um, which is a 93 mile loop that goes around Mount Rainier in Washington state. And that is actually what my book is about, is the Wonderland Trail, the Colorado Trail, which I would highly, highly recommend. That's probably my favorite trail that I've hiked. Um, And then in 2022, in the fall, I made an attempt at setting a a fastest known time record on the Wachita Trail, which goes from Oklahoma to Arkansas. And that did not go... Lowest hiker at Yosemite set and set and speed trails. See, this is beautiful. Yeah, there's some 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 little ironies in there for sure. Um, I'm definitely still not a fast hiker, but to set a fastest known time record on a longer trail, it's not always about being able to move quickly. It's more about being able to move for many, 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 many hours in a row. Um, and <laughs> like, how much can you walk versus how much do you need to sleep? Um, so yeah, so I was trying to do that in the fall and it, it did not go according to plan, but I'm hoping to make another attempt. Do you do any kind of training for these now or, or is your style much the same as it was in the beginning? Just, just newer. Mm, for the Wonderland Trail, I had not backpacked since the AT. So there was a three-year gap. <laughs> And that was very much, that was very much a spur of the moment decision. And I was just like, oh, it's, you know, it's less than a hundred miles. I'm sure I'll be fine. So that one, I kind of just gutted it out. Um, Then I got into running after that. And so uh, before the Colorado trail, I did not specifically train for the trail, but I was running a lot and doing some like speed training sessions. Um, And that actually really made a huge difference in how I felt when I was on the trail. And so I think if, if I was going to do another trail of that length, I would definitely prepare in that way more with running than with hiking. Um, and then, yeah, training for, to try to set a fastest known time. That is like a whole other beast. Yeah. How long is the Colorado trail? Uh, 486 miles. Wow. That sounds so fun. Oh, I just, what is your favorite part about it? What, what keeps bringing you back? Hmm. I think having a break from like, quote unquote, normal society, (laughs) Um, I think once you've left and gone into the woods for an extended period of time, you really crave that disconnection. And it's, you know, it's never truly a solo experience. There are other people out there. But when you go on long trails, the other people out there are people that get it. They get what you're out there for. Purpose in life, new version of themselves. Like we are all... I say we're seekers, like the people that you meet on trail, you have something in common with them and, and it feels really true to be out there and, and being, I feel like we are our truest version of ourselves in those settings. And then you are around a bunch of other people who are also doing that, um, and I, I miss that in the normal world and it, you know, I live in Denver part-time and like 
the outdoors community there is going strong for sure. And there's, you know, so many people that I relate to and, and I do definitely live in a bit of a bubble in terms of like being around people who are like me. Um, but it's just on a whole other level when you're out on the trail. Why do you think that so many people use hiking specifically? What components of that experience do you think uh, facilitates that personal growth or that reconnection with self? What, what aspects? I think it's a combination of the disconnection from technology, the disconnection from man-made things and the connection with nature, as well as like pushing ourselves physically. Um, I think there's something about like being in a, a state of like movement at all times that uncovers something. Yeah. The dogs have arrived. Sorry. Here they're here. To, they're here to party. <laughs> yeah. There's like four of them. They just fold in. So. <laughs> I'd say I love that. Yes, I agree with that completely and totally. And just that solitude, even though, like you said, you're not, it, I, I like to compare it to, to meditation. Like the formality of meditation is like just doing nothing, you know, and just letting go. And just like you said, the, the, your nervous system is disconnecting from all the noise of the world and you're just going inside of yourself and reconnecting. And I, like, it allows for whatever it is out there, you know, your, your higher self, the universe, God, whatever, to just settle in and I, I just I think that you said it perfectly movement nature and then just yeah and if you can get to a place mentally where the only thing that you're thinking about is like what am I going to eat today and how far am I going to walk today like the, if those are your biggest concerns and that is what your day is based around like what that is like the purest form of being in an animal body Right. Like, yeah. what do your dogs care about? Where are they going to sleep? And what are they going to eat? Like, <laughs> you yep. know, that like strips away all of the added stress of like, quote unquote, human existence that we sure. have created for ourselves. That drop in the ego, just all of it. The competition is all of it. Love it. So where does the book come in? When did you decide that it was time to write a book? Um, on the last day on the Wonderland Trail, it rained the entire day. <laughs> um, and I spent, I guess it was the second to last day. It was the the last night that I slept in a tent. Um, I read a book and I was just really like mulling over all the people I had talked to, all of the things that I was feeling coming into the trail and the fact that it was almost over and I was going to be walking out the next day. What exactly was I trying to accomplish here? Like honestly, is this hiking thing serving me in the way that I was hoping that it would? And is this search for independence through hiking and through nature serving me the way that I would was hoping it would? Um, and so the book really is, you know, I tell the story of my hike on the Wonderland Trail, which took place over 11 days. So you get 11 days of hiking. Um, but it's really a story about the search for independence and like, what are we seeking when we go into nature alone? Um, what are the challenges that come along with that? And then, you know, we live in a society that holds independence up on such a pedestal. Um, and what about the other side of that? What about the connection? What about the fact that like, we cannot actually exist in a vacuum <laughs> um, and that we need the people around us and that human connection is such a valuable and 
crucial part of our experience as well. So it's a bit about like the independence that we seek and the loneliness that we can find when we are so aggressively seeking independence. Does that make sense? <laughs> I might have talked myself in a circle. <laughs> no, 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 it makes that makes total sense. That's I can't wait for my book to show up. I'm gonna leave it up on my reading list. Fascinating. What, what before we go off of hiking? Because I want to ask about your 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 work as well. Did you ever come across anybody with dogs on these long, you know, hundred plus mile hikes? Um, yeah, so it's pretty common for people to take dogs on on the Appalachian Trail. There are a few sections where they're not allowed. And so you either have to um, board them during that time or have somebody come pick them up and then bring them back to you. Or there's different logistical things around it, but people definitely do it. Um, the Wonderland Trail, no, because you're in a national park the whole time. And so it's not allowed. Um, so it's really, you know, about doing the research. And then, you know, a long hike, like it in some ways it becomes about them and about their comfort level and how far they can go and their health and watching out for them. And like, there's just a lot of added um, difficulty with a dog because they eat a lot of food. Uh, now you're carrying extra weight. Um, you know, their, their poop is not good for the natural environment. So it's like, are you picking up all of their poop? And then, they are out if you let them off leash like that it can be very problematic and then they can pick up ticks and things like that and then like how are you dealing with that so just it, it just adds a lot of like logistical questions to your hiking experience but it definitely can be done lots of people do it yeah the added complications though that makes total sense i've read about some of that in my in my research and it's always like uh, but I, I think that going alone would probably always be the smart choice first so that you can experience it and be prepared for the sake of your dog because you have that obligation. Totally. And yeah, if you, I mean, gosh, if I had a pet, it would make so many things that I do much harder. Yeah. And I would think, I would think if I was going to go on a long hike, I would try and find somebody to like watch them. And I know that's really hard for people who are very attached to their animals. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I get that. <laughs> I get it. Um, but I think for, for simplicity's sake and for your own experience, like I think finding somewhere for them to be while you're doing that is yeah. like, it's, it's just going to be a very different experience if you bring a dog with you. Yeah. It's the same, even just taking them on long, long trips, taking dogs on just camping. It adds all the extra chaos, all the different logistical planning for where you can can't say it's all the things, but yeah. Interesting totally. perspective. So in the beginning, you said that you go back to Denver because your partner is there with your business. What, what kind of a business are you operating these days? Oh, um, just my book publishing business, my business as a writer. Um, so I have like, you know, 1000 copies of my book <laughs> like sitting in a room. Um, and you know, I do freelance writing and like some other here and there type of things. But generally, my business is mostly about publishing and marketing. And we're working on a second book. That was good. So that was going to be my obvious question for listeners, because all the time I like to just bring awesome guests like you on for people that are dreaming of something more. And the number one question people always ask is about finances. You know, mm -hmm something that's a necessity. So how do you finance your life as solely through book sales at this point? And if so, like, how did you get from 2000 
And well, from 10 years ago to now, prior to the book, how did you fund that life? Yeah. So I had worked at the health insurance company, making pretty decent money and having a very low cost of living because Arkansas was, you know, and still is much cheaper to live than most other places. Um, and so I just had money saved up before I did the Appalachian Trail because I was planning on taking that six months off and then going back to work. Sure. And so like that, I just saved up some money and then took the time off. And when I came back, I went back to work. Um, and then I moved to Denver and I was working there for about three years doing like normal corporate ladder kind of jobs. Um, and then when I decided to move into my first van, um, I quit my quit my real job. And I had a good chunk of change saved up and I sold my place and I had basically no expenses other than keeping my van running and a little pile of money that I had saved. And I think once you get into the world of long distance backpacking, of living in a van, like you, you learn how to live very cheaply. And so a big part of it was just about not spending money. Um, and if you're, if you're doing it for the experience of being out hiking or out in nature, like you don't have to spend a ton of money to do that. You know, I don't go to bars. I don't drink. I don't eat at restaurants. I don't throw money at on a daily basis and don't even think about it. Like I just don't have those expenses. You know, I buy backpacking gear. Uh, <laughs> I, I very rarely replace backpacking gear. You know, these things last for a really long time if you buy good quality gear. Um, and so my expenses were just very low. So for the first, you know, so many years, that's what I was doing. And then, um, I did get my woofer certification wilderness first responder, which is required for, to be like a hiking guide. Um, and so I thought I was going to get into hiking guiding. And so I got that certification. I'd hiked or I guided one trip in the grand Canyon, um, in May of 2019, I think. And, uh, then the pandemic happened. And so, um, but I had gotten in with the company that I'd guided with and was helping them do some business stuff too. So I was like writing blogs for them um, and getting paid to do some like freelancey type things. And so I was making a bit of money up until the pandemic happened. And then that cut, you know, because they're a travel company. So they laid me off. Um, and then I did not qualify for unemployment with the pandemic because I hadn't been working very long. Yep. So like I had just taken all this time off. So I just, I got nothing from the unemployment that happened. Um, so then I was just living extremely frugally trying to make the money last. And I worked over the winter of 2020. And then since then the book came out. So I've been book touring, selling books, doing a lot of marketing work, and then doing some freelance writing on the side. So it's been a bit of a journey. Yeah. Uh, I would not under any circumstances say that I have felt financially stable or safe during this time. There's been financial stress for sure. Um, but I think when you know what you want to do and believe in what you're doing and can live very, very cheaply, that you can you can make it work. Yeah. No, that's that's wonderful. I, that's I'm I'm so glad that you went into the details of of that because there there are so many different ways to to get to the life that you want but it always comes with sacrifices and compromises and people you know if, if you're living a life right now of luxury and entertainment and constant you know stimulus from all the out making drastic changes either you know drastically increase your income or drastically decrease your spending in order to travel into something else but it's just it's really cool to hear it's refreshing to hear people like you that 
are, you know, you just basically your the life you're going to live is what you're living and you find the resources around it, which is, which is great. And you, you, you kind of went up and down and up and down and around and um, shifting, you know, queen of pivoting. <laughs> to just totally. <laughs> yes. And I think like you were saying, like if you're living currently a life of, of consumption, like you can think of it, like you're buying lots of things and spending lots of money, like it can feel really hard to cut back because you feel like you're losing something. Um, but if you can do it and, and do it with the mindset that everything that you are telling yourself no about everything that you're giving up is allowing you to pursue what is really important. And I have, I have a really good friend who has like this theory about the, I think she's four freedoms. And one of them is freedom of finances, meaning you have lots of money and you don't have to think about it. And one of them is freedom of time. And one of them is freedom of location. And I can't remember what the fourth one is, but those are the three that I think about all the time because those are, because those are the ones that (laughs) I'm like, I'll have to look it up and tell you, but frugally in order to really experience life through the freedom of location and the freedom of time. Yeah. You know. Amen to that. I hear you. That's ugh, freedom. Yeah, it, it's it's a thing. <laughs> I, I think that COVID really, really got people shifting even more. So all the guests that I talked to like that was such a, a time for people, I think, to just slow down enough and realize that that fast paced go, go, go lifestyle was not enough, you know, it just wasn't fulfilling for them. I thought I'm not going back to spending the majority of my time in an office setting or a work setting away from my family because they got that back. Um, COVID was a, it was a bugger, but boy, it sure, I think it sure woke people up. It did. I think it was an amazing opportunity for people to step away and assess. And, and it was interesting to watch so many people do that when that was something that I had made the room to do, you know, five years before. And so I had sort of like already made all these big changes to my life. And then I like looked around at what people were doing during COVID and I was like, oh, yay. Like people are seeing, they're seeing that they're in a, in a big way. It's seeing that you don't have to follow the formula that's laid out before you. Because I think so many of us are just kind of like shuffled through school and then we either go to college or we start working and then we start working after college. And there's just this sort of like, you do this and then you do that and then you do this and then you do that. And sometimes we just never look up and realize we didn't actually have to do those things. And it wasn't, you know, it was when I graduated from college and I looked around and I was like, oh, I'm not happy doing this. And I can change that. Like that's the, you know, lots of people are unhappy. (laughs) And sometimes we don't recognize we're unhappy. And sometimes we do recognize we're unhappy, but we don't recognize that we have the power to change. Sure. Yeah. That's very well said. Um, I, I just love you. I've already followed you. I'm going to continue to low key stalk you <clears throat> for the rest of, of your, your adventures, because I just think you're fascinating down to earth and you've got some really cool things going for you. What is next as we wrap this whole thing up? What is next on your goal list or what are you working towards? Yeah, I'm definitely writing another book. Um, a few, actually, I have a few projects started. <laughs> Good. Um, and so, so I'm working on that and then I am, uh, I'm doing a cool partnership with a company based in Phoenix. So I'm spending some time in Arizona this year and, uh, training for another attempt on the Wachita trail. So that's, that's kind of where my three brain spaces are. Yeah. Cool. You are in entrepreneur mode though. Lots of different things going and 
getting lots of traction. You've got a lot of followings. You got a lot of creativity and you put yourself spiritually or physically or mentally, however you want to say it, in the right place in order to keep that stuff moving forward by having that time out on the road or on the trails to yeah. any final words of inspiration, wisdom, or anything that you want to share with listeners before we lock out. Oh, I guess I'll bring back the thing that I said the other day, which is uh, think of the person that you want to be and do the things that that person would do. And I think that that gets us over the hump of, oh, I have to be good at this before I can do it. It's just, yes. just start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. With forward momentum. I love that because you're not there yet, but there's steps every every way and everybody's a beginner at one point. So beautiful. Totally. I love it. Where can listeners find more of you if they want to either buy your book, if they want to follow you socially or just, you know, stalk you like I'm going to do? Great. Yeah. I'm on Instagram and TikTok <laughs> at Rugged Outdoors Woman. Okay. Um, I am extremely accessible on Instagram. If you want to talk to me directly, I'm super happy to talk about hiking, to talk about van life, talk about writing books, talk about quitting your job, whatever you want to talk about. I'm here for it. Um, and then if you would like to buy the book, uh, the best place is at aloneinwonderland.com and that comes directly from me, but it is available in lots of other places. Um, and you can also get a digital, like a Kindle version, um, wherever you purchase those things. And I think that's all the things. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'll make sure I put all that in show notes so people can find it easily and accessibly. And I thank you so much for your time and your energy. And I'm, I'm excited for all the things you've got going. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more on this guest, simply check the show notes. Like what you hear? Please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Together, we can grow and inspire.